0: This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless
1: edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asian to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian.
0: And my name is Maggie
1: and we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals.
0: We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us.
1: Hey guys, um, this is our Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian.
0: And my name is Maggie.
1: And today we have Patrick Lee. Um, He's the co-founder of Rotten Tomatoes. But Patrick's so much more than that. He's a, he's a serial entrepreneur who has extensive experience with designs, with huge expertise in tech and entertainment. An angel investor, an advisor, and inspiration for us to follow. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Definitely, um, Patrick. Can you tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself and who you are, and how you got
2: involved with the, the tech tech field and everything? Um. Sure. So. I guess going back my my parents born in China grew up in Taiwan, but they came to the u s for grad school. Mm-hmm. Then my dad was a assistant professor at UCLA and uh, I was born in l a okay till I was five and then we moved to Maryland when he got a job to mm-hmm. become a full professor at University of Maryland um, and then I was in Maryland through high school uh, was interested in computers and stuff early, you know, video games, all that kind of stuff, but also uh, in junior high and in high school, I was in a magnet program that was around math, science, computer science. So we were, you know, coding since junior high, Uh, came to UC Berkeley for college. And that's when I started jumping into doing startups. So Mm -hmm. I left after two years to do a startup took another 10 years to graduate, so it took me 12 years to get my undergrad. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, I was doing a a number of different startups.
1: Definitely. That's that's a really good story, too. And it comes to show, like, I think most people, especially um, the Gen Z generation that I talk to, they have a tendency to compare themselves to other other people. You know, they always believe that, hey, I got to finish school in two and a half years. I got to finish school in three years. And in actuality, I think as long as you take your time and, you know, walk your own path, like, don't compare it to other people, you're going to end up being a lot happier. You know, and just hearing that story, too, I can already tell that you have a stroke like you would you are type, you are the type of person that would follow your passions over money. And that kind of shows already. But you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm here at UC Berkeley. I'm not going to like I'm here to like focus on what makes me happy. You start a company at Berkeley. So hats off to that. Um, So when you started Rotten Tomatoes, what was the original product market fit of the Rotten Tomatoes and how did you pivot? Because we understood that, you know, you started this closer to the dot-com boom in 2000. You know, how did you, what was the original product market fit and how did you pivot from from that idea?
2: Um, So before Rotten Tomatoes, I had a design firm Mm -hmm. that I founded with uh, my co-founder, Stephen Wang. So two of us we were doing a lot of uh, web design work, or we call it interactive design for the entertainment industry. So we were doing stuff for a lot of work for Disney channel, um, banking flash games and websites. Wonder uh, Brothers. We were doing the official Jet Li site. We did the official flash game for mm-hmm. who wants to be a millionaire, which was a really popular game show at the time. Mm-hmm. And our creative director uh, was this person, Sen Duong. And he was the one who actually came up with the idea for Ron Tomatoes. He was a, huge movie buff. Mm-hmm. And basically, on the side, uh, he was a huge Jackie Chan fan. And he wanted to know what everyone was saying about rush hour when it was coming out.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. So
2: he kind of came up with this idea. The idea was basically, you know, when you open up a newspaper, you would see this full page ad, it would look like a movie poster filled with quotes.
3: Mm-hmm. but
2: Those quotes would always be good, even if the movie was terrible. Right. Okay. So if the movie was good, it'd be like from famous film critics, but if it was bad, it would be sometimes fake quotes. Oh, wow. But a lot of times it would be like radio station DJs and just folks that weren't professional critics. Yeah. Um, so his idea was what if he only included professional critics, reviews from professional critics, but he included good and bad reviews and then have a score.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so he actually went from idea to launch
3: mm-hmm. in
2: two weeks. It was oh, wow. in static HTML. Mm-hmm. And he only covered the wide release movies that were out that week. Mm-hmm. So he didn't worry about... Covering in the past, he didn't worry about limited release movies mm-hmm. or DVDs or things like that. Um, so it was something that was manageable that he could do by himself. I mean, it still took a ton of work to gather all those reviews, even for you know three or four movies that were coming out that week.
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: he was able to do it in two weeks. And back then, you know, most reviews weren't even online, so he actually went to the library, oh, wow. gathered <laughs> reviews. Had right, to go out and literally get the newspapers and magazines, mm-hmm. look up the review, write down a quote, and then go back mm-hmm. to go work on it. Uh, So when he launched it, we found, we saw that there was product market fit almost immediately. Like we were hosting a site for him and within that year, you know, we had, it was featured on, on things like Netscape and Yahoo multiple Mm -hmm. times. Uh, Mm -hmm. Roger Ebert wrote an article within the first year where he picked his favorite movie websites and Mm -hmm. he included Rotten Tomatoes. And within, I think it was like a month or two after launch, I mean, uh, Pixar had a movie called A Bug's Life that came out. Mm-hmm. and the day it came out there was a spike in traffic on Rotten tomatoes and we we're like what's going on and when we looked at it it was actually coming from pixar itself
3: mm-hmm. and
2: it turned out that i think someone at pixar found the page sent it to everyone else at pixar and they were just yeah. constantly refreshing our page over and over wow. which is why we saw a spike in traffic because they wanted to see as we're adding reviews what mm-hmm. is everyone saying about their movie right and so within that first year after all these things happened we we're like hmm, there's something there you know we had already found product market fit like let's turn this into a real business, Yeah. right? And so what we did was we raised money. I went out and raised money for it, mm-hmm. a, a million dollars. We mm-hmm. passed our design firm to another group to take over. And so we were kind of half transitioning out of our design firm, you know, transitioning projects over to the other group to take over mm-hmm. and putting more resources into Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And so the main things we were doing, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened with the, mar- the bubble bursting two months after we raised money, 9-11, 18 months after that, mm-hmm. um, which were really tough. But essentially, we went, we didn't really have to pivot. I mean, we kept mm-hmm. the same core product. You know, we, we spent a few days to figure out what exactly is Rotten Tomatoes. And, mm-hmm. and we realized um, the whole team met for two days, talked about it, and we said decided it was to save people time and money from not seeing bad movies. Mm-hmm. Right? So we decided to focus only on movies and not go to other categories. Mm-hmm. And that what we've spent our resources on was mm-hmm. how do we take what's working and make it better. Mm-hmm. So we tried to automate the process a lot more and expand our coverage. So we, um, we uh, first started doing parse, like parsing reviews to help bring them to one place. We built a content management system mm-hmm. so that our editors, instead of in the past, they would have to go to each site, look it up. It was all brought to one place. Mm-hmm. They just had to go in and say, is this fresh or rotten? Um, and really only in the cases where it wasn't clear, if it's four stars out of four, or if it's like one star out of four, you kind of know, but it's in in, in the middle, like two and a half stars out of four, you'd have to go and read it to be like, is this actually fresh or run? Then they pick a quote, everything else was like already handled. So it made it easier for us to, to cover movies. Mm -hmm. And then we eventually also built in a tool for critics to submit reviews directly. And later on, we expanded it to allow users to put their own reviews in. Mm -hmm. So all these things made it so we could have be more accurate and and save time so that we could cover more movies. And we eventually went to cover, you know, limited release movies. We started going backwards to cover Mm -hmm. movies that were around before we started Rotten Tomatoes, Mm -hmm. you know, um, more indie movies, straight to DVD, you know, a lot of stuff on DVD. So Mm -hmm. we were just trying to make what we already were doing better. We didn't actually have to pivot the product in any way. It's
1: awesome that you were able to find the product market fit right off the bat. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, actually, I feel like a lot of sites the ones that work they mm-hmm. kind of just work right yeah. they might pivot and try a couple things yeah the one that works i feel like most of the time it works right away like you look at Odeo was not working and then they tried twitter as a ha- from a hackathon and it just kind of worked facebook yeah. worked right a lot of these ones i think they come out almost immediately because they happened on something that's just yeah. right time right place right product and it just yeah. So
0: it seems like when you guys first started Rotten Tomatoes, you guys would have never expected it to turn out so big, right? But I think it's because you guys were so focused on your product and you knew exactly what your target audience was. That's why, you know, people were able to automatically associate Rotten Tomatoes whenever they wanted to watch a movie, right?
1: I'm a huge fan of Rotten Tomatoes too. And I've been using it since I was in high school, you know? Yeah. Um, this is... You're told, I can't believe I'm talking to you right now and interviewing you for this podcast because we always automatically go to Rotten Tomatoes before we go out and watch any movie. Mm-hmm. This is back in high school. This is back in like oh, oh 03, oh 04, or 05.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So we started in 98. Yeah. We started running it as a business in 2000. But mm-hmm. yeah, going uh, back to what uh, Maggie was saying, Sen was making something for himself, but he was a hardcore movie buff. And right. so what he made for himself actually worked for pretty much all hardcore movie buffs because when you think back then, um, who's out there looking for reviews, like multiple reviews? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hardcore people, like an average person was just see the trailer on TV or in the movie theater, right. and maybe they might read like their local reviewer, and they probably wouldn't bother looking anywhere else. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But initially, it was the hardcore movie buffs, and it was basically said made something for himself, and mm-hmm. it turned out it worked for other people. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And we had to give you a lot of recognition, too, because you have to keep in mind that for our listeners listening, Patrick started as back in college. You know, that sense of maturity and focus that he had to understand what needed to come next, that's absolutely amazing. You know, I think back in college, if someone told me to leave college, I think my mom would just owe me first. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd be like, no, I gotta get a job, you know, but Patrick was so focused and has a strong vision what could be. That's amazing as a college student. So we want to understand like what how, how were you raised to get to this point, you know? Because I understand that a lot of people um, were raised to play it safe, have a, a scarcity mindset that, hey, I should not take this risk because I don't know what's going to turn out of it. But for you, you're like, hey, I, you recognize opportunity and you seized it at such a young age. What was your upbringing like?
0: And I want to piggyback off that question, too. As you were starting Rotten Tomatoes when you were in college, what were, what were your parents' you know, their experience and their feedback on all of this, like what did they think of you, you know, starting a whole company while you were in still college?
2: Right. So, um, my parents, at least on my mom's side, from what I understand, they were quite well off when they were in China, but when they Uh fled to Taiwan because of the war, they had to get rid of everything. And so when they were in Taiwan, it was like six, seven, eight people all under one roof. Um, my dad's family, I think was also quite poor in Taiwan because they had to get rid of everything. So they were like lower class, all that stuff over there, but they were able to, but they all studied very hard. They, you know, education was a big priority for them. And so even within the same generation, they went from pretty much nothing to, you know, on both sides of my family, mom and dad's side, they all did quite well because of this emphasis on education. And so you know, we grew up in, you know, middle class ish family, I'd say maybe, you know, it wasn't like we weren't super well off, but we were fine. We were comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that they gave to me was they also emphasized education. I think that is something that happens for most Asian families, but they really right. emphasize that. And what I'm very thankful for is they gave me opportunities because mm-hmm. they gave me the tools that I needed. I mean, I think if you didn't have education or like a poor education, it's just you start off behind on everything. Right. Right. Like imagine if you couldn't add and subtract, how are you going to multiply and divide and, or even go into the, you know, things that build on top of that. Right. Yeah. So they gave me basic tools to have the opportunity to do these things. And, um, and when I decided to try and do these companies, uh, for instance, like, uh, your question, uh, Maggie, my mom was like, please just finish school. You know, yeah, It's okay that you do all this, but please just finish school first. And I'm like, I really need to do this. My dad was actually like, oh, that's cool. That sounds cool. <laughs> so he was told but then I told my mom, like, I really, you know, I will try and finish, but, you know, it took me 12 years, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I really want to do this right now. And she was okay with it. And actually for my design firm, which was, which was, I guess my second company, mm-hmm. but the first one was a relatively short lived anyways. And it kind of flowed into the second one. Mm-hmm. but for the second company her and my co-founder steven's uncle they loaned us the money to actually do the company our design firm um so t- two of them together loaned us 30k wow. which we were able to pay back within a year because we were getting clients almost immediately right
3: mm-hmm.
2: um but yeah so she wanted us to do it but when we decided to do it anyways she uh, still supported us um which i think was really valuable like there's some parents i think that would Potentially, just straight up block you. They wouldn't allow you, and they wouldn't have given us, you know, a loan or whatever. Yeah. So um, that was really good. And so for me, when I went to finish school again, it took me twelve years, and mm. I graduated after we sold Rotten Tomatoes. Right? Like, I didn't need school to have done all that stuff. It was my third company was Rotten Tomatoes, right. but it was more to finish something I started. Also, kind of like because I promised my mom I would finish. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I know. So let's talk a little bit more about running Rotten Tomatoes, too. I I think that's a really important lesson, especially given the COVID situation that's going on right now. You know, we have read some of your stories in the past where you you raised a million dollars over 20 people. And you, you know, decided to not pay yourself anymore. And you're living at work, literally, hiding, putting your clothes behind three cubicles, you know. That story, like, it's... It's very valuable to hear what your mindset was because that essentially puts you in a situation where you had to be resourceful and you had to improvise and you had to think about stuff like should we bootstrap or should we raise money? But I think in your case, most likely it falls into the bootstrap area. <laughs> you know? Like can you walk us through that that moment? What kind of emotions are you were feeling? What are your thought processes like? What did you tell your team when you're like, Hey, look, we have to cut down our staff for our companies to survive and we'll place your salary with equity. What was, what was that mindset like?
2: Sure. So yeah, we raised money in, so Ron Tomatoes started in August, 1998 is when Sen launched it. Mm -hmm. We decided to try and raise money to run it as a real company in January, 2000. So a little bit after a year later, Mm -hmm. Um, the internet bubble burst in 2000. Mm -hmm. uh, And I want to say 90% of all Tech companies went out of business. I mean, I don't have the exact number, but it felt like that. I mean, everyone was going out of business because after the bubble burst, you couldn't raise money anymore. Right. Like, and on top of it, most companies were dependent on ad revenue.
0: Right.
2: The majority of them were. Mm -hmm. That's mostly the business model that was everyone was doing. Yeah. And what was happening was people were raising money and then buying ads from each other to get more traffic. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's just internet companies buying from other internet companies, and once the market crashed and they couldn't raise money, they couldn't go and buy traffic anymore. Mm-hmm. And so what would happen was, it was going from you know five to twenty dollars CPM, like five to twenty dollars per thousand impressions, to like pennies or fraction of a penny on the dollar.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So you couldn't raise funding, and your revenue went to near zero, oh,
3: wow. yeah. almost yeah. overnight. Mm-hmm.
2: And so that's why so many companies went out of business. The ones that survived were like things like eBay or Amazon that made money from users. Mm -hmm. They could actually make it through, but almost all the ones focused on advertising died. Mm -hmm. And so we knew at that point, like we had to reduce our cost because we, when we just started running round tomatoes, we had no revenue. We managed to get Mm -hmm. a deal with a group called my Simon right before the deal, everything crashed. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And that kind of gave us some initial revenue, to help keep us in business. Mm -hmm. Um, but we knew we had to cut, like our, our cost was way too high, yeah. especially because we were offloading our design firm um, mm-hmm. and the revenue that was coming from that side. Mm-hmm. So uh, we tried to do it in the best way possible. So we told people that we needed to cut and we explained why. Mm-hmm. We accelerated vesting for all of them. So they all had like, every single person had some equity, even the ones we had to let go. We asked them to start looking. Yeah. And we basically tried to keep everyone employed until they could find something. Mm-hmm. And we were lucky because our team was so good that they were actually able to find something even in very bad times, mm-hmm. quite quickly. Right. Um, so we had to cut from twenty-five people to seven within a year.
3: Mm-hmm. Wow.
2: And um, when we got to seven, even at seven, five of us, five people went to took a thirty percent pay cut, and myself and our marketing person Paul
4: mm-hmm. went to
2: zero. Mm-hmm. So we had seven people, but it was really the cost of more like three or four. Yeah. Right. Um, we gave people additional equity, um, to make up for the lack of salary and we left up to each person on how much they could reduce. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, the way I did it was because our office, we had space, we had a nice office space that we couldn't get out of the lease. Um, (laughs) we had space for 25 people Yeah. and suddenly we had seven, right? Mm -hmm. So I just took over three cubes that were in an L shape, put all my stuff in there in mm-hmm. yeah. my apartment and this moved into the office. I mean, it was actually illegal, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I just looked at it as working really, really late combined with getting into office really, really early, you know,
0: were, were there other people staying at the office as well?
2: Um, there's a lot of times when we were, when it was like, we were really busy on certain things, mm-hmm. people would stay over mm-hmm. um, or sometimes we were playing video games till really late. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, I mean, I was the only one who actually like was there for a <laughs> period of time. The other thing we also did was we ended up subleasing a third of the office to another friend's company. Okay. Um, that also had they cut from one hundred thirty people down to ten, and they ended up subleasing like a part of our office space, and so that also helped cut costs down.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a. Good, uh, can-
2: uh, sorry. Also, real quickly, um, I forgot to mention. Um yeah, so also 9-11 was 18 months after that. So that was super yeah. tough. And
0: how did that affect Rotten Tomatoes?
2: Um because at that point a lot of folks were cutting advertising spend. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. didn't really want to see ads during exactly. such a yeah. period. Yeah, no um, I remember specifically we had a deal to had an ad campaign for Spider-Man and it mm-hmm. had a big, Spider-Man got pushed back because they had to go and digitally edit out the twin towers.
3: Oh mm-hmm.
2: wow! Um, because it was in the movie and yeah. they had to cut it out, and so they had to push it back. I think in that case they still advertised with us, but it was, you know, pushed back quite a while. Right, right. Um, and it was just a really tough time again. Uh, and it was, I believe, the worst terrorist attack, yeah, or the, yeah. the U.S. And the bubble bursting was also one of the worst crashes ever, right. especially within tech. It might have been one of the worst or yeah. the worst. It
0: was like back to back.
2: Yeah. yeah. But the thing is now with COVID I think it might be worse than both of those things combined. <laughs> That's how bad everything is now. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that really kept us, kept us alive back then was we massively cut our cost.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, because you can only control revenue so much. And in our case revenue was going to be near zero for a long time because of what happened. Similar to here, if you're like in the restaurant business or, you know, something like certain things like retail, Mm-hmm. Your revenue probably has gone to zero or near zero. You know, maybe you can do deliveries or something, right? Yeah. But the one thing, you can't really control revenue much, but you can control your cost. And so right. I think a lot of folks did it where they had to furlough almost everyone. Yeah. Right? Um, but that even for startups, you right. know, when I've been mentoring and advising people in this period, I've been telling everyone, like, cash is king. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the one thing that's going to get you through this. You need at least minimum a year Ideally 18 to 24 months if you have anyone you can raise money from at this point It's obviously gonna be much harder Mm -hmm. unless you're doing something that's helping with COVID like Mm -hmm. raise it if you can like don't worry about anything else Just Raise it if you can at the same time cut Like hard and cut fast you know Mm -hmm. ideally only do one cut Don't do lots of small cuts because people are gonna like look over their shoulder and expect to be It's gonna kill morale but do one big one and do it quickly because the, the thing is you know, if you could cut your costs in half and you had five months left,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: you would get 10 months. Right. But if you wait three months and then decide to do, to cut in half, you only gain two months. Mm -hmm. Right? So by doing it earlier, you can serve cash more. And so it's super important. That's what got us through back then. But I think that's what's going to get people through now. Like they have to do it and it's hard, but if you don't do it, you're, you're dead
1: yeah Mm -hmm. it goes back to being a leader too you have to make this quick decision decisive decision really really quickly otherwise it'll harm your business in the long run too
0: yeah i i think that's why so many small businesses are struggling at this moment right because a lot of these small businesses don't even have a lot of cash on hand for example, restaurants like their net profit is already small to begin with right yeah yeah
1: yeah do you feel like based upon what you went through like when you first started raising money in early 2000s and 18 months later 9 11 do you feel like that has impacted your decision to sell the company four years later or did you have other factors involved as well
2: yeah i mean for us i think i mean it might be an excuse but because mm-hmm. those two things happened like literally right as we raised money and yeah. it was the only time we raised money because my first two companies First one was just some savings. The second one was a loan. We
3: mm-hmm. never
2: raised money from them and they weren't startups. They weren't the kind of things that you're supposed to raise money for.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? But for us, because we raised money and right away that happened, um, I want to say that it made us like we were just focused on surviving. We weren't really thinking big. Mm-hmm. And even though we had something that was growing, we realized like it was growing. I don't think we totally appreciated how good it was. Um, And so we were getting offers actually probably within two years in or so Mm -hmm. um, from people trying to buy it for really cheap. I mean, it was literally 10 cents on a dollar, 25 cents on a dollar from our post money valuation. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, let our investors know that these offers were coming in and our investors were like, yeah, yeah, go and take it, take it. Because they had lost everything else they invested in during that time went to zero. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, But we're like, no, we think we should at least self, where you can get your money back, at least get all your money back. Um, and that was literally the bar we had. And looking back, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like we totally, we, we actually made them some money, but not much. Yeah. Because we had our bar so low.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And literally the, that's the difference between, you know, if we just waited even an extra year or two, it, we probably would have had multiple times more in terms of what we could sell for. But I think a combination of one, um, we just weren't thinking big. Uh, two, because the reason why I did my companies, all my companies was I wanted to do something with friends from college. All six companies had at least one co-founder, if not more from freshman year of college. And I wanted to do something interesting. So they were all something that I I thought was, would be cool to do. Um, Mm -hmm. and that was my main reason to do them. So I think partly it's my fault. I just didn't have that same level of ambition. And partly it was because of the time period and, and what happened with uh, the market crashing and 9-11 just made us think smaller. And that's, I think the difference between, you know, something like what happened with us and someone that might've had a much, much bigger, uh, I guess, financial success is that they just thought much bigger. They thought Mm -hmm. they were just much more ambitious.
0: Yeah. So given that you have like always been an entrepreneur, you know, and you've started building companies since college, I'd love to know, you know, how your mindset was affected while you were building out your first few companies up until when you built out Rotten Tomatoes.
1: And after Rotten Tomatoes too, like yeah. you understood like your mindset, you know, given all the stuff, all, all stuff that was going on, totally understandable. I think we still see a lot of posts in Asian in Asian Hustle Network about people want to sell their, their companies right now. They want to sell their businesses. So that, yeah, we, we can't exactly, it's not exactly your fault. I think it's a situational thing where it's like, oh man, I just want to like, get people's money back because as you're taking other people's money you're like you feel obligated to like return their money back so completely mm-hmm. understand patrick no there's no right or wrong decision but we felt like you know you kind of made the right decision because you're you know, i feel like the way you are right now you're you're a strong mentor you're a strong advisor you're like you're an angel investor now you're so much knowledge you had to give to all of us listening from you and going back to what Maggie said too, you know, like you want to understand what you took from Rotten Tomatoes, and what you learned from there, and how did you apply for the next level of businesses. And what worked the first time, what not, what didn't work the second time as you're starting more companies. Um.
2: So ironically, I think well, a couple things. Um, my goal was to try and do things uh, with, with friends and do something that I liked doing, mm-hmm. actually we would have been better off just keeping the team together and not selling. Um, mm-hmm. because looking back, those were among the best times of my life. Yeah. Y- even though it's hard, and we we're going through such hard times because it was so hard, it actually pulled everyone closer
3: yeah. and
2: they were literally like family. Like our CFO was like our company, mom, Lily, uh, her, her two sons were our age the age of all the people in our company yeah. right so she was like the company mom one of our editors susan she ended up marrying my brother so she's out and then sen who was the creator run tomatoes he ended up marrying the cousin of another editor so They're <laughs> cousin-in-laws like, like literally people are actually family um, yeah, I love that. Yeah. and so that's one thing looking back that like if my goal was to do stuff with friends. Like I actually should have just kept with that group because it was really such a amazing group of friends.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and in terms of like business wise, even if we never sold, I mean, yes, if we timed it better, we could have sold for probably a lot more money, but mm-hmm. even if we didn't sell, um, you know, Ron Tomatoes was growing in traffic. It could have been just a great business in terms of like just from the revenue it could have generated. Mm-hmm. Um, or even if we wanted to do more things, you know, Hypothetically, for example, you know, when we transition run a uh, design reactor, had I known again, you can't tell the future, but had I known we would have had to lay off 18 people,
3: mm-hmm. great
2: people, we would have been better off not giving up our design firm. And just being like, if we could have, we were, we did it because we were worried we couldn't focus, right. but had we split off the design from to people from the team and say, you guys take it over. Mm -hmm. And you run it, and we keep it totally separate. Like, we'll never pull from one side to the other. You know, maybe someone like Lily could have done both, right? Mm -hmm. They could have done it, and we probably wouldn't have had to let go of so many people because some of them could have maintained the design firm. Some would go on Rotten Tomatoes, right? And looking back, our design firm was great. We were doing some really big projects already. Mm -hmm. You know, pretty much anything at that time, our team pretty much could have done it. Mm -hmm. and with Rotten Tomatoes all that traffic it's like we could have built anything and we would have had traffic to flow to it it's Mm -hmm. like we had all these amazing pieces and we through bad luck and bad decisions we got rid of both you know Um, so that's another thing I think actually when you look at entrepreneurs the best entrepreneurs for the most part are not serial entrepreneurs they're actually the one-time founders Mm -hmm. that find something good and they do it the whole time like Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, the Google people, like the biggest ones, they only did one, right? And there are some rare cases like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, but Steve Jobs would have been Apple the whole time if he didn't get kicked out. Right. He only did those other ones because he got kicked out and suddenly had all this time on his hands.
3: Yeah.
2: Right? Um, and then moving forward for me, I think with Ron Tomatoes, in a way it actually made things worse because when we sold,
3: mm-hmm.
2: we were like, oh, we know what we're doing. I know what I'm doing. I can do something bigger. And so with the later ones, actually ended up raising more money and tried to do things bigger. But actually by doing things bigger, I was less focused on all of those companies. And so I actually did a much worse job. Rotten Tomatoes, <clears throat> because the product was initially focused and even though we raised money, the market crashed 9-11, it forced us to stay focused. Right. Without that, we might have started adding a bunch more features and other things that were like, yeah. Not relevant. Or you might've tried going to more categories and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Later companies, I was a lot less focused because I had more resources. I thought I knew what I was doing, but actually I was making the biggest mistake possible, which is to be unfocused.
0: Yeah. And there's mm-hmm. so many options. Like you think you can do everything because there's problems in every segment, right? So it's like yeah. you're more unfocused in those later companies.
2: Yeah. And the one thing i realized from that experience, it wasn't actually, it was actually from my failures of the next three companies I did after Rotten Tomatoes Mm -hmm. was that I was so unfocused and I only realized it from helping a bunch of startups after my last company uh, Mm -hmm. died. And I was constantly telling them like, Hey, you need to focus. You're doing too much. And then I realized like, Oh crap, I was doing too much in my last few companies.
3: Mm -hmm. And then
2: when I started looking at all my tech co-founder tech founder friends and every kind of company I could think of every single one that did well was focused in the beginning.
3: Mm -hmm. And so
2: that's actually the big thing I've been whenever I mentor now. I just I just stay on that topic because you know um, Anyone who's unfocused is dead. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it's only the focused ones that actually make it
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I think it's really great that you're so humble about it, too You know, you're you sit you are now looking back everything now now kind of makes sense or as you're reflecting as you're learning you're coming a lot, of, a lot of lessons learned to like teach other people to like not repeat the same mistakes mm-hmm. but it's also it makes me think about stuff like when you're first beginning you have to be a lot more resourceful because you don't have a lot of resources around you that in itself would incubate like um innovation new ideas doing things attacking quickly changing directions because i feel like and, you know, I, I talked to a lot of other tech founders, too, that when you have a lot of resources, you kind of just rely on that. You're like, I can make this mistake. <laughs> it's fine. I got, I got enough talent and money and resources to recover. But over time, these things will cause cracks in your organization because you're not immediately, like, like repairing the, the, the cracks that they create when you innovate and you have a lot of um, innovation. So after the sale of your uh, Rotten Tomatoes in 2004, you know, you spent nine years in Asia, right? So you spent some time in Hong Kong. What was that what was that experience? What caused you to move to Asia? We we understand that you always wanted to move to Asia. Like what was the the bigger underlying reason behind? It? Did you want to experience something new? Did you want to go out there and start a new company? Did you
2: want to go out there start a new life? Like what was that what was that time period like? Yeah, so for me, you know, again growing up in the state, being born and growing up in the States. Yeah. Um, in Maryland, uh, elementary school and stuff, there weren't a lot of Asians, you know, in junior high and high school with magnet programs. Yes, there were more Asians, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, there's, there's times when I grew up and I I felt sort of invisible Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. I mean, I specifically remember sometimes I had some friends, really good friends that were not Asian. Mm -hmm. And like, for instance, in sixth grade, I remember the, the really popular girl in our elementary school mm-hmm. was doing a like graduation party. Mm-hmm. And I found out from my best friend at the time, cause he was like, Hey, are you going to go to the party? And I was like, I didn't even hear about it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Oh, well let me try asking. And I know he must have asked and uh-huh. then he didn't mention it again. So I must, I'm guessing she said no. Right. Yeah. And I had a lot of experiences like that. Yeah. Um, and so junior high and high school were much better because there were a lot more Asians in these programs. Um, so I started feeling a lot more comfortable and why did I pick Berkeley? I mean, Berkeley mm-hmm. is famous for having a huge Asia. Asian undergraduate population. I mean, that's literally the number one reason I was like, I want to go to a place where I have, I'm not just an invisible minority. Right.
3: right. Um,
2: and then from there, I, I started gaining a lot more confidence in high school and in a lot more in, in college. And mm-hmm. after we sold Rotten Tomatoes, I was like, I want to see what it's like to be, you know, in Asia in China mm-hmm. and Hong Kong where I would be the majority.
3: Right, right, um, right.
2: And so I went over there. But then ironically, the thing that happened was uh, when I went over there within almost instantly, I realized like, oh, I'm actually super different from them. Like, yeah. I literally yeah. don't have to say anything. Like I don't even open my mouth and they can tell like mm-hmm. I'm not from there. They're like, where are you from?
0: Definitely. And,
2: <laughs> and then the thing I, I realized while I was in Asia was that I'm a minority everywhere because mm-hmm. if I go to Asia, I'm still this weird Westerner person, and if I'm here, I'm a minority. Right. And then it actually was good because I started just accepting it mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. realizing like this is who I am and just being okay with that. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, which is why it's like an ongoing issue with so many Asians, right? We're always trying to find our place and find our voice, mm-hmm. but we really have to embrace you know, who we are and where we live and you know, who we interact with
1: yeah, this comes a problem that we're trying to solve with Asian Hustle network too So realize you know we get about about 150 to 200 pending posts every day Wow probably like 60 percent of those is like I'm so happy I'm in this community because I can't find my identity you yeah. know it yep. seems to be an ongoing thing whether you know it's for you or some like newer generations you know, it's really important to f- to find your tribe too but the bigger thing is you have to you have to know who you are you know you have to be mm-hmm. comfortable in your own skin it goes a long way when not just social interactions and finding your identity but also doing business too you know the more comfortable you are the better you are at making good decisions and you know you're, you're more honest with yourself because you're not lying to yourself like you're not gonna be like things are so great when everything's like burning down <laughs> you know? but yeah it's pretty cool to hear that you spend some time in hong kong because maggie's from hong kong oh cool yeah so we were there year or two ago we absolutely loved it you know the culture is great the food's great wait during the riots and stuff or it was
0: right before okay (laughs) you know
1: what the funny thing is so we left like a week before the riots and then earlier this year we left europe a week before the COVID lockdown (laughs) oh wow you guys were just totally (laughs) dodging bullets no idea by the way (laughs) it's not intentional
2: although ironically if you're in hong kong now you're probably safer
0: Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's very true. Yeah, that's that's a funny thing too. Yeah. So, so after spending nine years in Asia and coming back to the U.S. in, in 2014, right, or
2: 2015, was
1: that the year? Uh, 2013. 13. Mm-hmm. What was the? Uh, what was? I mean, obviously you moved back because of family, but after you moved back here, you know, changing cultures twice, living in Asia for nine years, and living in the United States all your life. Now you're back in the United States. You're like, oh man, oh, what helped you decide what you want to do next was it um did you immediately want to like make a strong connection find a network of new tribe to start a new business with what was your, what was the process like when you first go back to the united states and what do you want to do how did you sort how did you sort that part out
2: um yeah when i got back a lot of it was just kind of reconnecting with mm-hmm. friends kind of reestablishing uh my network here so mm-hmm. one thing i did was um right I, I actually started when i was in hong kong but i Created a group for tech founders, and mm-hmm. brought in different co- tech founder friends. They could refer other people, kind of like Asian Hustle Network, but but very private. Yeah. And, you know, now it's like 150, you know, really amazing uh, tech founders in that group. Yeah. Um, so that helped. Uh, I ended up doing a company with a friend that I did my first company with. So six. company number six and company number one were with a friend, Lyle Fong. Yeah. Um, and we just we loved playing video games our whole lives and. When we were hanging out, uh, we decided to try and do a company to make mobile games.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so mm-hmm. the two of us went and did that for a while. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work, but it, you know it was very fun. And you know anyone who loves video games probably has thought in the past like oh, I right. would love to make my own video game. So we actually mm-hmm. did that. Um, but yeah, it was definitely an adjustment to come back because, and it, and I think it's really interesting to live in another country. I feel like everyone should live at least a year in another country because it gives you a much wider view because growing up in the States, you always just feel like the U S is best at everything. Mm -hmm. And then you realize like, Oh, it's, there's a lot of good here. You know, like the tech companies, the entertainment stuff we make is amazing, Mm -hmm. but there's also problems. Like one thing coming back from Hong Kong, you know, obviously I wasn't there during the riots or, or all that stuff. But Mm -hmm. Hong Kong, when I was there, was incredibly safe. Like you could go anywhere, anytime. By yourself, and you don't even think about danger. Like your, you know, your spider sense is never on, not on at all. And then I come back to the Bay Area, and you you can't even walk through most parts of San Francisco without like looking around a little bit to be like just to know your environment. Because I mean, many many times since being back, you know, you have homeless people come up and are trying to start fights with you, or like getting in your face, yelling racist things and stuff. And, and you can't, you, you know, you just in, you don't engage, you just ignore and try and walk faster. Mm-hmm. Right. And that doesn't happen like ever in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, and you know, you look at Singapore, Japan, like these places are ridiculously safe, mm-hmm. right. Uh, they're much cleaner, like Hong Kong, the, you go in the, the tra- like the airport, the transportation system, the MTR, it's yes. so like you go to here and it's like BART, um, no, a lot of these things the really, thing. <laughs> like I was, you know, like a homeless person came up and tried to assault me in mm-hmm. the Bart, and my friend had his notebook literally grabbed out of his hand
3: mm-hmm.
2: in the Bart, and the person ran out. I mean, like, yeah. and these are things that, like, I didn't notice when I was only living in the U.S., but after coming back from Asia, yeah. you really, you can't help but notice it. Yeah. Where it's like suddenly you have this, like your spider sense has to be on all the time. You have to like be aware of your surroundings. And actually that's like a little bit like a low level anxiety Mm -hmm. that when you're in Asia, it just doesn't happen. And it's actually really nice to be in a place where you don't have to worry about those things. And then obviously with all the stuff with the politics now and everything, and, or even our, our response to what's happening with COVID. Like Mm -hmm. there are definitely countries that are doing a much better job. I mean, most Asian countries like Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore, right. South awesome. Korea are doing handling it much better and not letting politics and all this other stuff mix in. And yeah, yeah. it was a massive adjustment. Also, just coming back to the States and, and kind of a little bit feeling that invisible thing happening again. Right, right, right. And I've been trying to be really involved with groups, you know, like Gold House yes. or, or supporting, you know, Rock the Boat or, or with you guys um because i feel it's really important and and to me one thing i realized when i was in asia and coming back is that what's super important is having positive like role models Mm -hmm. in media like in front of the camera and Mm -hmm. when you're in asia almost all tv and film is with asian people Mm -hmm. in all roles. Mm -hmm. but when when you look at any western media i mean even within europe australia you know here um Mm -hmm. Typically, if you see Asians in anything, it's mm-hmm. very stereotypical.
3: Like yeah. always
2: computer programmers, the Kung Fu guys, yeah. the working massage parlor, girls, yeah. you know, things like that. Or it's like even the stuff that's imported, it's mm-hmm. going to be like Jet Li, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, who I love all those folks, but it's still Kung Fu. You know, yeah. it's still guys. I mean, outside Bruce Lee, that have no romantic relationships, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. or it's like anime. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the kind of stuff that gets imported, like most of the other stuff. I mean, yeah, like Parasite now, but it's still quite rare. And Mm -hmm. I think the big difference over there, um, or even what I heard about Latin American countries, like Mm -hmm. they, I've heard, are much more accepting of Asians because they actually get Asian dramas. I think like
3: uh,
2: Korean dramas and things like that, where almost everyone in South America is watching that stuff like at least once a day. Mm-hmm. yeah it's regular programming and i think when you see that it's just a big difference in how people think about you and how we think about ourselves right mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. That, it's something that's it's getting better but it's still mm-hmm. quite bad
0: right 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 yeah, yeah. that's a really good point and I, I just like to give feedback on it about you know you moving to asia and then coming back to the us it's very similar to my situation because i actually was born and raised in san francisco You know, the whole homeless situation, like it's always been a problem in my whole 28 years of living, but it's never, I've never like... donned it as a problem because I've always just like kept walking straight ahead like I've never like paid attention to my surroundings because I didn't want to you know like look at it you know and Brian coming from LA to the Bay Area it's like a whole new world to him and he's like why are the streets of San Francisco Why is it so like like,
2: dangerous this? here? <laughs> and I'm, LA also has some stuff too yeah, like in, he's from the like road. the
0: Asian area of LA so oh, it's okay. very safe. But to me, I'm like, really? There's no problem, you know, like it as a problem. I just ignore it. You know, I feel I pretend like the problem is not there. And I like your perspective. And like, if you move to Asia, you know, going to Hong Kong, I never felt like I was in danger. You know, I think a lot of places other than U.S. are much more safer than the U.S. But then every other country, they praise U.S. They're like, oh, U.S. is like moving at such a quick pace. You know, they're so much better. You know, we have a lot of Australians in Asian Hustle Network who praise United States and they're like why are you guys like moving so fast like we're always trying to catch up with you guys you know mm-hmm. entrepreneurs in the US are so incredible i wish i could be more like you guys you know yeah. but that's not true at all there's entrepreneurs everywhere you know we we're, we're all moving at a speed that's you know very fast and there are skilled and educated people everywhere you know and mm-hmm. about the whole film industry that's that's very true like with parasite like these movies are being praised whenever you know they win awards and grammys and everything like that but we're trying to move to an area where it's normalized right but we're so far from that we are moving in the right direction but we need to get to a place where it's normalized and we should still celebrate you know whenever these movies are coming out starring asians Mm -hmm. but it's it's always we're still in a place where it's like oh there's a movie starring asians like that's a very rare, you know, and we need to, and gold house is like doing such an incredible job with that, with crazy rich Asians. That's off to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. You guys. Yeah, I, I totally agree.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. So, you know, we do share a lot of similarities too, because we started Asian hustle network because we wanted more people in mainstream media, more, more people in corporate and investment ladders. Mm-hmm. That's our three criteria that we formed the group on and, People just kind of resonate around our core values and our name, I guess, because people are like, "Hey, the word hustle and Asians kind of to go together." <laughs> you know, that's pretty good. So we do share a lot of your your core values that believe that we can make a difference. And well, oftentimes, like Maggie and I look at each other and be like, "Are we too foolish? Like, are we are we thinking too big?" You know, and we try to you know listen to to people like yourself and try to remain more focused. So there's a lot of times where, you know, you get opportunities come to you almost on a daily basis. Hey, you you do this? You should do that? you should do this? Yeah. But most of the time for us, I think in a, in a good way is that we're also kind of lazy. So We're like, you know what? We're just going to focus on our vision. <laughs> you know, like anything else can add on to our vision, we'll do it. If it doesn't focus to our, our vision, we, we won't do it. You know, and it just goes back to the focus thing that you mentioned before, you know. I think a couple months into the group, it was so chaotic. Like, we're getting people posting on different industries and just selling their stuff, promoting their stuff, sharing their stories. We realized that, you know what, what made us special was our product market fit to resonate with the Asian culture in, in not just the United States, but around the world. You know, mm-hmm. what, what happens is we, we have something beautiful happen. People are starting to connect with each other based on our. Underlying morality or values or beliefs that you know prior to Asian House Network, we couldn't find anything else that united the Asian population. We found Koreans, Japanese, very segregated. But now that I see people of different ethnic groups support each other, it makes me really happy because now we're trying to unite everyone under the same umbrella. You know, we're not different. We're the same. We just say different things. You know, it's just growing up and. And, and especially our generation too because our parents came from a time of war and uh, my parents came to the United States because of the Vietnam War and because of that they do have a lot of resentment against like other ethnic race and they're like telling me hey you shouldn't trust this you shouldn't trust that mm. growing up and you know the most Asian place in LA Arcadia <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like everyone's the same as me mom what, what makes them so different you know and that's always been a philosophy too it's always been Maggie's philosophy she grew up in the most Asian area in SA Sunset <laughs> 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 you know yeah so we just wanted to connect bridge everything together and seeing your work it's almost like a blueprint for us to follow you know because we fully believe that success leaves clues and when you come back and it's ironic you say you feel invisible you're the first person we notice they're like oh, Patrick <laughs> you know? so it's, it's a little bit ironic but you feel that way and you're not the only one feeling that way you want to mm-hmm. make sure that everyone feels like they have a place to belong and that's, that's kind of our, our goal mm-hmm. yeah
2: you know? no yeah I mean the stuff that you guys have done is is incredible it's really good um, mm-hmm. I think you've built a, a really good community and it's, it's great that you're putting a lot more resources into keep keeping to growing it, growing it
1: yeah thank you definitely appreciate that Patrick and I think we're at almost at the top of the clock um, do you have any important like any anything that you want to say to your audience before we end the call
2: um I would say if anyone needs help or mentoring or support, you know, they can always find me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you do rotten doubt, rotten from Rotten Tomatoes Doubt, um, then, uh, yeah, just feel free to reach out, say that they've heard this podcast or found Mm -hmm. me on, uh, Asian Hustle Network or something and happy to try to give some advice or mentoring to them. Yeah. I think it's really important for us all to continue supporting each other.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Very important. Thanks so much for coming on. We loved your story and yeah. your insight. Yeah.
2: I feel yeah. like we know Patrick so
1: much more well now. We
2: love <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully, when uh, everything is less crazy, we can all meet up in person. Yeah, you know, definitely. Yeah.
1: Sounds great. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Patrick.
2: All right. Thanks so much.
1: Hey, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show.
0: We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned!
1: Thank you guys so much!